electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. And when I say in-depth, I'm talking deep. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood, complete with a video guide. They also have details about local schools with test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. I'm going to make friends. I'm just trying to make you a little money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate, context. Call me 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Maybe we're looking at it all wrong. Maybe we're so blinded by big tech, we don't realize that what we're seeing right now is a reasonable pullback after a relentless rally in some highly visible $100 billion and more stocks, virtual purloined letters of equities. And that's how I look at today's action. Dow dipping 252 points, S&P declining 0.76%, and the Nasdaq losing 0.96%. What do I mean when I say we're blinded by tech? Look, most people who own stocks tend to own the same stocks. So in many cases, they don't understand how incredible the rally's been this winter. For example, people care more about every nook and cranny of Netflix, fortunately good sign-ups tonight so the stock goes higher, than they do about stocks like Boeing or J.P. Morgan or a host of other blue chips. Yep, so many great companies are outright ignored here, in large part because the mega cap tech names are much higher profile and have gigantic mind share with the American public. We see them as the protagonists of the stock market. And to be fair, to be fair, for a decade, that's exactly what they were. But that hasn't been the case for over a year now. Unfortunately, most people haven't adjusted to the reality, something we implored people to do at today's investing club meeting. You got to go watch the tape. The real truth of this market is that hundreds of non-tech stocks bottomed in mid-October or before then. Since then, they've been on a gigantic tear, just a huge run. And this week, they've finally taken a little breather. What happened at the bottom? Well, in late September, the dollar was peaking. Then interest rates finished their relentless climb less than four weeks later. In retrospect, these are the two very obvious events, but hardly anyone wants to believe in the bottom because we're so focused on the sputtering mega caps, the flailing semiconductors. And worst of all, the pathetic enterprise software giants. We've been stuck in a purgatory of our own making. Consider it 
a tech titanic. All right, tech uh, train wreck. So on one track, we had a very traditional bull market based on the dollar and interest rates peaking, both of which tend to be terrific for stocks for a whole host of reasons. But on the other track, we had the relentless beatdown in the Teslas and Salesforces and Amazons. It's absolutely insane that the second track gets, I don't know, how about 114 percent of attention? When I talk about the bull market track, it's not like these are obscure companies, people. Just look in your wallet, all right? I mean, look at it. Open it up right now. I command you. You'll probably see two things. You'll see a Visa or a MasterCard, two companies that are worth hundreds of billions of dollars. Visa is one of the largest companies on earth. Visa stock is highly sensitive to the dollar. Bottom in mid-October, just under 175, then soared to 224. It's now at 220. I mean, look at this. I mean, you know, you have this rally, you have this pullback. You think everyone's crying about this one? Nah. Okay. I mean, you know, what Mastercard? I have a Mastercard. I love it because its symbol is ma. And Mastercard bottom along with it, 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 it right along with Visa, at 276, and then. Then it jumped to $381. And even with the pullback, it's now in the high 360s. Look at this. This isn't much at all after this. Correct? In other words, these huge stocks have had monster happy moves in the last few months. That was easy. Uh, what we've seen this week is merely an orderly decline to burn off their vastly overbought conditions. I know you're thinking I'm cherry picking. Get this. It's not that it's not too hard. How about the nearly four hundred billion dollar J.P. Morgan? I mean, you probably heard him. Remember Morgan? He was like really rich. A few weeks before bond yields peak, this stock was at one hundred and one dollars. It then blasted to $143. I mean, come on. House of pleasure. I often think of that when I think of Jamie Dimon. And uh, let me tell you, let me, JP Morgan, somehow it now pulled back to just under 135, despite reporting excellent quarter last Friday. And it was a great quarter. It was. It was garden variety profit taking. And I know how to garden. It's zen-like. Then there's Home Depot, a $316 billion company. The Despot, which is what I like to call it, bottomed at 266 in late September, then moved up to $347. I mean, come on, I want that. So it doesn't Home Depot semiconductor. Ooh. And you know, they okay, so pull back to 310 as of today. Sure, we might have more rate hikes. And that's bad for anything connected to housing, including the Despot. But we hear that every time there's a Fed meeting. And it hasn't stopped Home Depot. We have all these people, by the way. Well, no, let me say that for later. Travel's been pretty strong, right? There's only two companies on Earth that make commercial aircraft at scale. And that's, um, is that Intel and, and NVIDIA? No, it's Airbus and the poorly run Boeing. But once the dollar peaked in September, even though you buy planes in Boeing, in dollars, you buy Boeings in dollars, Boeing stocks started flying from 121 to 216. Do you see the pattern here? Do you see what I'm talking about? Okay, so now it's pulled back from 216 to 207. Woo! Really scary. 
hardly the sharp decline everyone keeps fretting about. I know it's only a $123 billion company, but it's hard to get more visible than Boeing. This one's been hiding in plain sight. Next up, we've been buying. You ever see, you ever see any road work done? Maybe a house, road, Caterpillar. We've been buying for the Travel Trust. There are hundreds of billions of federal dollars headed toward infrastructure, and a huge chunk of that has to go to Cat. I can't, I, I, I can't claim early the stock had been a real loser until the end of September, but then it pole vaulted from 160 to 260. Thanks to the recent sell-off, it's now down to 245. We convened our first investing club meeting of the year today, and we talked about how this decline, the first of any substance since that run began, might be the viable moment. Buy, buy, buy! For the NASDAQ, it's, uh, it, it's, it's still a bear market, okay? For Caterpillar, it's only a breather in a relentless bull market. Hey, go listen to the call that I did today at noon. You'll hear my partner, Jeff Mark, spell out the whole bull case. Now, we all knew that China had a ridiculous COVID policy, right? Sooner or later, it would have to end because keeping huge chunks of the country quarantined forever is unsustainable for 1.4 billion people. Wynn Resorts has a huge exposure to both interest rates and to China, got a bunch of casinos in Macau. Stock looked deathly ill at 53 bucks, okay? Uh, where it bottomed this fall, right? You got that there? And now it's at $99. Oh, just a dollar below its highs. There's a pullback for you as the Chinese government finally came to its senses. Merck. All right, well, I've, hey, you heard of Merck ever? Merck's another enormous company that's been hiding in plain sight. It's massively levered to the dollar because it does tons of business overseas, so the stock naturally bottomed when the dollar peaked. Since then, it's jumped from 84 to 115, no small change, and now it's plunged all the way back to 110, a whole $5 after a 31-point run. Oh, the humanity. Look, I could have gone on and on. I got like, you know, they tell me I can't keep doing it. Like, at one point, I have to stop. And I got these people who tell me, you know, like, look, you can't do it anymore. And I got other people over here saying, you stop. You can't keep mentioning stocks. But I have, like, dozens of them. I could, I have hundreds of them. I could have gone on and on with the same darn pattern. The same, but you put that pattern back. I love that pattern. Um, it's the most, these are all like 100, they're 100 billion. <laughs> I just go like this and people do what I want because it's Jim Cramer's bad money. But the obsession with the. Wow, is my head big? Can I get out? But the obsession with the mega cap names has obscured one of the most straightforward bull markets I can recall. While people jumped down the rabbit hole of Intel or stumbled on AMD, the plain vanilla buyers of everything from healthcare to retail to aerospace and finance all got exactly what you'd expect. These stocks bottom when the dollar and interest rates peak. Textbook investing obscured by wild emotions and, and really some self-flagellation. Now they're simply cooling off after a big run. Suddenly everyone acts like the whole edifice is collapsing. <laughs> So many people come on our network or other media outlets and tell you things are dreadful. They're roving bears in sheep's clothing or little red riding bears. They all spout the gasp of uh, the Federal Reserve hand ringing. When, when will the Fed be done bringing the pain? The House of Pain. We look for tea leaves from Fed officials who give Rotarian speeches. Babbitt style. Go Google it. That caused wholesale havoc in the futures. But if that's all you're focused on, you miss some huge moves. These keeps reverting to that. No, don't say revert back. You don't need to say the word back. There we go. Thank you. These rallies occurred while the peace with China broke down. The war between Russia and Ukraine got real hot. They continued after the election. They didn't even skip a beat when the semiconductors became roadkill and the enterprise software stocks rolled down so far that the analyst price targets meant nothing. 
So let's remember, there are two tracks out there. The tech track that can't seem to find its footing, rooted in about 30% of the market. And the other track, which found its footing months and months and months ago when interest rates and the dollar stopped climbing. Bottom line, both tracks are pulling back here. Tech after a seven-day pause from its bearish trend. The other from natural garden variety profit-taking. I think the big blue chips are experiencing a temporary garden variety decline as the stocks digest their gains. Tech? Aside from the ones that announced massive job cuts, they're on a permanent vacation to Jellystone National Park. All right, let's go. Oh, hey, speak of Jellystone National Park, I think that might be in Wyoming. So why don't we go to Ken in Wyoming? Hi, Jim. I, Ken, yeah, what's I up? I this, this is a thrill and an honor to speak with you directly, and that's not hyperbole. Same. And you know who went to, you know who else is from Wyoming besides you? I mean, went to college there? I think I know who you're going to say. A lot of Wyomingites are rooting for uh, Josh Allen. Exactly. Let's go to work. (laughs) Okay. So I'm getting hammered by a bank stock, which seems okay to me, but I've been uh, catching fallen knives since May of last year. I'm pretty bloody at this point. So what am I not seeing about Signature Bank, SBNY? that apparently everybody else has seen. People feel it has a little too much uh, exposure to the quick rate uh, rate increase. Remember, there's some banks that just had too much exposure, some uh, buy now, don't pay later companies that got hurt too. So your, yours is hurt by the fact that it was not positioned correctly, I believe, in the, for the rapid rate increase. Now I want to go to Peter in Charlotte Panther territory. Peter! Jim, how's it going? Booyah! This is some day, I'll tell you. This is Thursday. What's up? Uh, not much, Jim. All right, here's my question for you. Coinbase, do you think the bottom's in, and what's it going to take for the institutional investors Coinbase. to get back into it? I think that, okay, so Coinbase is a heavily shorted stock, and that means that even though I don't feel it's any place to be, it could have these rallies. But it is not an area that I believe in at all. And by the way, I think that all the different, uh, every one of these different, whether it be Bitcoin, whether it be Ethereum, whether it be Solana, anything crypto, I think. I think the big blue chips are seeing a temporary garden variety decline as the stocks digest their gains. That's not the case with tech. That could be on a permanent intellectual vacation. On Man Money Tonight, the video game cohort has been volatile since COVID-19 hit our shores. But what could the future hold for the sector? I'm running through the big names and giving you my take. Then earlier, we held our monthly meeting for CNBC Investing Club members. And we received so many incredible questions from our members that we decided to take some tonight. And today, CBC Disruptor Roe launched a new, new weight loss program. I'm learning more about how this initiative and others are disrupting the healthcare space with the CEO. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1 800 743 CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. 
Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business. You can also earn up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Fact. Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact. Smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreat in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving. Like I said the other night, if you want to be a good investor, you need to understand the zeitgeist. And right now, after roughly a year of getting used to a post-COVID environment, the zeitgeist is a little weird. Everyone wants to focus on how the Fed might throw us into recession, but I think there's a bigger story underneath, the story of how two years of COVID-19 changed the world. So we've been looking at which changes persist, like remote work, and which ones have caused a kind of snapback, like the post-pandemic travel boom, because life's too short. Tonight, I want to zoom in on a huge COVID winner that's become an equally huge post-COVID loser, the video game industry. When the pandemic struck, gaming took off because we were confined to our homes and literally had nothing better to do. But ever since people started getting vaccinated a couple of years ago, the gaming cohort has crumbled. We need to ask ourselves if this is a temporary post-COVID loser or if there's something bigger going on. I mean, look at the big video game publishers. Take-Two Interactive peaked at $215 in February of 2021. Now it's just over 100 bucks, a level at first reached in 2017. Electronic Arts is a little better, going from 150 to under 125 over the same period. Could be a lot worse, but definitely not great. Activision Blizzard had plunged from 104 to the 60s a year ago before Microsoft gave it a takeover bid, and that gave the stock a new lease on life, although the regulators seemed reluctant to let that deal happen. And this is not some bogus sector rotation where the gaming stocks went out of style, but the underlying industry's fine. The industry's struggling. Two days ago, NPD Group released some numbers for U.S. consumer spending on video game content, hardware, accessories. In 2022, it was down 5% year-over-year, while December was better, up 2% year-over-year. That turns into a meaningful decline when you adjust for 7% inflation. Hey, by the way, all that 2% uptick came from console hardware, as games and accessories were both down. Then yesterday, we get some European data showing a 13% decline in console and PC game sales in December. 
Last week, Logitech, which comes on all the time on our show, which makes all sorts of gaming accessories, pre-announced a major shortfall. Sales down 22 to 23 percent in the fourth quarter. That's pretty shocking. Their gaming division has been a dog all year, and I doubt that changed in the final quarter. During the pandemic, people brought, bought tons of these accessories. Think gaming headsets, high-end mice, keyboards. But it's not like you need to buy new hardware every year, do you? The weakness in gaming fits perfectly with what I've been telling you about the zeitgeist. It, 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 in a world where everyone's got a life-too-short attitude, people would rather go out and do something than sit on the couch playing video games. They got enough for that in lockdown. Now they're chasing unique experiences, doing things, living life. In other words, life is too short to stay at home playing video games, or at least that's how many consumers seem to feel at the moment. Now, my inclination here is to stay away from the gaming stocks, but there's a reason I didn't talk about this industry along with other post-COVID losers last night, like the office suites and the movie theater business. While gaming's struggling right now, you know what? I doubt the problem's permanent. I think it's a little actually more of a cyclical issue, meaning it can come back, not a long-term secular one where it goes like this. Why? Okay, first, the newest consoles, the PlayStation 5 and the Xbox Series X, have been facing severe supply constraints for years, in part because they couldn't get enough semiconductors from AMD. That's no longer a problem. In fact, many of these chips have gone uh, gone from being completely sold out to uh, completely glutted. Hey, maybe that's why AMD's down so big today. It's one reason we saw an uptick in hardware sales last month, because you could finally find these machines in stores. Second, much like film and television, you know, the gaming industry struggled with a lack of new blockbusters over the past year. They play like that, too, blockbusters. There simply haven't been many big titles coming out because COVID made it harder to get the stuff out the door. Now, look at Take Two. That's Strauss Zelnick's company. have them all the time. That's the publisher that's been the hardest hit. They only launched three core titles last year. To put that in context, they've got five planned for the current fiscal year, 19 more scheduled for the two years after that. That's COVID talking. Let me give you another example we don't talk about as much, Ubisoft, because its stock isn't listed here in trades in France. But they're a major player in the industry. You might know them as uh, Assassin's Creed. Last year, they canceled three major titles and delayed another one called Skull and Bones. Then last week, they announced another three more cancellations and another delay for that same game. This is the sixth delay. All I can say is it better be good when it gets here, because assuming it ever happens. Again, we saw the same problem at Disney and Netflix. They couldn't make enough quality content when everybody was afraid of getting COVID. Nearly everybody at these video game studios can work remotely, and remote work is not not efficient. Now, though, we've been back to normal for a while, and eventually that will translate into more blockbuster-level games coming out. I think more film helped Netflix get better than expected signups, which was vaulting its stock in after-hours trading after a better report this very evening. Finally, I think there's a widespread misconception about the gaming industry. Everybody focuses on these huge franchises where the games look better than real life. But increasingly, the money here comes from free mobile games, where the studios make money from selling add-ons or from advertising. While this stuff is much lower profile, it's been a goldmine. That means the gaming industry is a lot more levered to digital advertising than most of us realized. And advertising, whoa, even in digital, it's a cyclical boom and bust business that's currently busting. 
We know the major players have spent fortunes getting into the free-to-play ad-supported space. Activision Blizzard shut up nearly $6 billion for King Digital several years ago. Think Candy Crush? Take 2 spent over $12 billion on Zynga last year. That's Farmville. Long-term, these may have been smart moves, but as long as digital advertising business is stuck in purgatory, these companies are going to make a lot less money and people aren't going to like their stocks. Put it all together and you can understand why the video game cohort's been such a dog. But unlike, say, Office Space, most of these headwinds to me seem pretty temporary at least in theory. The console shortage is already a thing of the past. we got more potential blockbusters coming later this year because people can get together and create things. And eventually, advertising will make a comeback along with the rest of the economy after the Fed's done tightening. When that happens, I bet the gaming stocks actually make a comeback too, but it may be down the road. I'm not saying they're done going down at this point. I definitely think they have more downside. But at some point, they'll be cheap enough to be worth buying. It's just that we aren't there yet. So, Here's the bottom line. While the video game industry came out of 2022 looking like one of the biggest losers of the post-COVID era, I think it could just turn out to be a temporary problem, not a permanent one. Too soon to start bottom fishing here, but eventually there will be a bottom. They have money's back after the break. Coming up, the investing club got first crack, but Kramer loves answering your questions, and he takes more next. From their innovative practice facility to unmatched views from the fairway, the PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with 5G solutions from T-Mobile for Business. Together, we're using AI-powered analytics to expand coaching tools and bringing fans closer to the pros with 5G-connected cameras. This is game-changing innovation. This is the PGA of America with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash madmoney. Just go to Indeed.com slash madmoney right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash madmoney. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Maybe you've heard, but today we had our Investing Club monthly meeting. It's a total blast. If you're not a member, you are missing out on so much. We go in depth on our trust holdings. We take questions from members. And yeah, it's true. I tell a couple personal stories. We always run out of time to get all of the great questions we receive. So today we want to tackle a few more here on Mad Money. Let's get right to it with our first question. Blake says, hey, Jim. Booyah! I'm 23 years old, and I'm looking at this bear market as an opportunity to get into some beaten down stocks, blue chip stocks like Apple and Snowflake. How should I position my portfolio with the right amount of risk but grow my capital given my age? Well, look, you're young. 
You got your whole life ahead of you to make the money back. You got two terrific stocks there, one that is a little bit more mature, obviously, Apple, and one that's going to be a long-term growth stock, Snowflake. I would actually put probably, look, if you, I, I want you to have some cash when I have all these, but you know what? I would put a nice percentage of, of your excess income after you have $10,000 in an S&P index fund into those two stocks. I like them very much. Again, I wouldn't suggest that if you were older. Let's go now to Carol Washington, who asked, Gold is rising to its highest level in years. What do you think of investing in gold right now? And if you think that's a good idea, what would you use? Would you use an ETF for miners, something else? Okay, this is what I use, which is a, a not an ETF for miners, but there are mutual funds that have just junior gold and senior gold producers. If you want risk, you take junior gold. If you don't want risk, you take senior gold. Some of these gold companies are good. The other way to do it is to own the GLD, which is a very good way. Uh, and I have long-term been a believer in gold. By the way, let me just watch. While I'm at it, say that if you're a believer in crypto, this is your chance to become a non-believer because I simply now believe it's a sham. Okay, it's a travesty of a mockery of a sham, and it's manipulated. And I've had a, I've had it, and I want you out. Okay, let's go now to Mark in Louisiana, where I once went fishing off of uh, Grand Isle. It was fantastic. Who wants to know when trimming a winning stock position uh, portfolio? Is there a basic guideline or percentage of the total shares to follow that you that you follow when determining? the total amount of shares to sell. I used to be able to say I used to use firm rules, which was up 25 percent sell a quarter. And I'll tell you what happened is the mega caps became mega caps. I said, you know what? I got to be a little more subjective. I want you to join the club and you'll see what we do is when we think we're being piggish and it's more subjective, we take a little off as we did for the company Starbucks just a few days ago because we said, wait a second, we're up more than 25 percent like that. Time to lighten up because Bulls make money, bears make money, and pigs, they get slaughtered. Next up is Adida, who asks, this is my first year as an investing club member. Thank you for joining. I really appreciate your timely insults. Insights. I've been accumulating small shares of Apple, Amazon, and Google. Is it prudent for me to continue accumulating shares of these companies at this point? I think if you heard my call today, the answer would be no. I think you have to be in some of the other stocks we talked about that are dividend aristocrats. I want you to get those dividends, reinvest them, and get a little less heavy in tech. Because as I said at the top of the, of the call, tech's not doing what it should. It got too big and it's going to be subject to a lot of selling. Now let's get to James, who says, I know you strongly recommend reinvesting dividends. Do you recommend reinvesting in the stock that produces the dividend or just reinvesting the dividend in any stock in your portfolio? No. I want you to automatically reinvest the stock that you're in. That's the best way to invest. It's kind of seamless. More than 50% of a stock's gain over many years' time is from that dividend. So that's what you must do. Now on to Brian, who asks, what is your opinion on Skyworks Solutions and Broadcom? Uh, they both have low multiples, free cash flow, reasonable balance sheets, no debt in Skyworks case, and consistently meet or beat earnings and revenue expectations. Yet they seem to get no love from, from Wall Street. I'm going to give some love right now to Broadcom, which has a good dividend, which I really, really like. You can reinvest the dividend, very stable business, and is getting less and less dependent on hardware. It's the right level. Hawk Tan, the CEO, is just no, is, is, is remarkable for his consistent earnings profile. That's the one. Peter from my home state of Pennsylvania, a big Delaware County, PA Booyah. Well, how about a Montgomery County beat PA Booyah right back at you? Jim, with Wells Fargo stopping home mortgages, what do you think of the bank? Thank you. Okay, it's not really stopping all home mortgages. It's outside mortgages. And the thing you need to know about Wells Fargo, let's get away from the mortgages entirely. 
Let's talk about where the stock was and where it is. This stock was in, in the low 60s, literally, in February of 2018. It then got hit by a consent degree problem with uh, really the highest level, Janet Yellen, saying that the bank was poorly run and had many, many control difficulties. Now, this is one of the largest banks in America. So you can imagine how many things, uh, what's happened here is that they did to do a wholesale overhaul, not just of the top executives, but even the board. And they brought in Charlie Scharf, who's a remarkable CEO. And Charlie has slowly, one by one, been picking at these, all these different censures. They solved the, uh, the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau's one for, uh, wow, like $3 billion. And now they're solving nine more. And when they're done, they're going to buy the stock back hand over fist. They've already started buying. Wells Fargo is the cheapest stock in our entire charitable trust, as I said today at our, at our midday meeting, and I want you to get in the club and you'll know more. Let's go to David in Massachusetts who asks, why has IBM avoided the technology market correction? Is it because the dividend supports the share price? This is a great question. And the answer is one, yes. You got horse sense of the dividend. But otherwise, it's viewed as a defensive stock. as a very low multiple. Of all the stocks we just talked about, only it's lower multiple. It's even lower multiple than Broadcom, which is a very low multiple. So it's being saved by the fact that it's not expensive. It's got a long-term plan. It's sold, it's sold off a division that was hurting people and hurting the company. And most importantly, it's got that dividend and it has the frank free cash flow to back it up. All right. Well, there you go. Once again, join the club. Or at least let, you got to listen to today's call. It was hilarious and informative. And if you join it, I'm telling you, you're going to love it. Mad Money's back after the break. Coming up, knowledge, tech, and a better you. Kramer goes off the tape with a startup focused on a healthy future. Next. I know Wall Street soured lately on the idea of disruptive technology. But we're always on the lookout for privately held startups. Could turn out to be game changers, maybe one day public companies, because they can help give us a sense of what the future might look like. And you need that to be a good stock picker, even if it's not with this company. Which brings me to Roe, R-O. That's the direct-to-patient healthcare company that aims to smooth out the whole doctor-pharmacist-patient relationship. They provide telehealth consultations and treatments for a range of conditions, especially in skin care, sexual health, fertility, and now obesity. Even within telehealth, this company's a leader. That's how it came in at number 38 on last year's CNBC Disruptor 50 list. And by the way, nominations for this year's list are open now at CNBC.com slash disruptors. Yet today, Roe launched a new weight loss program, which includes these very special GLP-1 medications. It's a, they do lab testing, one-on-one coaching, personalized health care. I like this. So let's take a closer look with Zach Raitano. He's the co-founder and CEO of Roe to get a better sense of the future of, medic, of medicine, and maybe you'll be interested in the company as a patient or perhaps a stock someday. Mr. Ritano, welcome to Mad Money. Thanks so much for having me. Well, I've got to tell you, this is your first time on, and congratulations, on, first of all, being on the, the disruptor list. Zach. It. It's a big deal, but it, I think it also means that you should give our viewers a chance to describe what Roe does because it's your first time. Yeah, absolutely. I'll, I'll take a little bit of a step back, explain what Roe does, and then I would love to dive into the body program, as you mentioned. But simply put, uh, we help patients achieve their healthcare goals in the most effective and most convenient way. So patients come to us and they say what they want to achieve. 
So I want to lose weight and we have comprehensive weight loss programs. I want to have a child and we have fertility products and services. I want to have better sex, improve my skin, improve my mental health, whatever it may be. They say what they want to achieve. And then we have seamlessly integrated doctor's office, pharmacy and labs to help them achieve those goals. So uh, you come to you guys and instead of just going to say a regular doctor and have a checkup or say, look, I'm interested in this. It's a very specific thing that you want and that someone might want. And that's exactly what you're built for. That's exactly right. When you think about the reason that you normally go to a doctor's office, you go because you have a particular health or life goal that you want to achieve. But normally, uh, the burden is placed on on the patient, right? Um, you know, what doctor they have to go to, do they have to go to the doctor, then the lab, and then the pharmacy. And we've seamlessly integrated each one of those components through the lens of that patient goal and then guide them all the way through. And that's what we've done with the body program and the launch of it today, which is the most comprehensive and highest quality obesity care for GLP-1s nationwide today. Okay, so please describe GLP-1s for those who have not heard of these amazing medicines. Absolutely. Um, so I, just just to make it extremely clear, I'm not a doctor. Um, That's all but, right. Most uh, of the people who run companies, very people who run companies are doctors. Yeah, no, I'm the, I'm the son of one, and I've seen actually GLP-1s have a tremendous impact on my dad, which was one of the inspirations behind the, the program. But GLP-1s, maybe people have heard of semaglutide or Ozempic or Wagovi, these amazing medications. They're a once-a-week injection, um, and they really do three very, very important things when it comes to obesity. Um, they help regulate your sugar levels. Um, they actually help regulate your appetite, and they slow the passage of food from your stomach to your small intestine, and it's the combination of these things that have helped patients in clinical studies, and it varies depending on the patient and the different medication, but on average, patients are losing approximately 15% of their body weight over the course of a year. Now, essential in achieving those amazing results is high-quality obesity care, so patients shouldn't just you know, receive these medications and be left to their own devices, which is why we built the body program. I'm happy to talk about more how that works, uh, but the body program is built to track patients in real time with remote patient monitoring and then adapt and be personalized to help them achieve some of the goals that we mentioned. Okay, so people listening, uh, I know that uh, Ugovi uh, kind of lists at $1,700 a month. I mean, are you able to get people, because of your comprehensive program, perhaps uh, uh, some insurance for it? Yeah, absolutely. So how the program works is a patient's come on to, to row.co. Uh, they'll start a dynamic online visit. They'll enter in information about their overall health, uh, their history and challenges potentially with obesity, lifestyle, diet, any medications they're on. We'll then immediately send them an at-home blood test, which will measure their A1C, their cholesterol, their thyroid, their kidney function. And together, those will put together a comprehensive picture of their metabolic health. They'll have a video chat with a provider. And during that dialogue, if safe and appropriate, the provider will write a prescription to one of our partner pharmacies and we'll guide that patient through insurance coverage um, to maximize, obviously, their ability to get it covered at the lowest possible price. Because as you mentioned, without it, it, it can be very, very challenging for patients. And then once they're on the medication, ships right to their door. They'll get a cellular connected smart scale so they can track their weight both in their app and it goes directly to their doctor. So we can titrate their dose. That's one of the important things in the program, again, is making sure that patients have the right dose and can scale up to see those results. And then they have one-to-one -one coaching with our nurses and are able to, over the course of a year, reach out to their doctor 24 times for video chats, 
and 24-7 messaging with their with their care team. Now, I want to be people to be clear, even though these drugs are also used by diabetics, they can be used to lose weight. And you don't necessarily have to be uh, clinically obese to be able to be on a program, correct? That's right. So the medication um, is approved. So semaglutide uh, has uh, both the brand name of Zepic and people might have heard. But that drug um, is approved for both type uh, for both diabetes right. for certain, certain diabetics, um, as well as patients who have overweight or have obesity. Um, they can have a BMI of 27 and have comorbidities, or th- or a BMI of 30 plus. They would be eligible uh, for treatment of of Wagovi. Intended well, and approved for, for weight loss. That's correct. Well, look, I mean, I think you're doing a, a great service here. I'm glad you're on the disruptor list. I want to wish you the best of luck. Very exciting program you offer. I and mean, there's many others. We focus on the one you just rolled out. I really want to thank you, uh, Zach Retano, co founder and CEO of Bro. Great you. to meet you, sir. You as well. And thanks for coming in. If thank people you. want to become patients, they can go to Row.co. All right. Sounds good. Man, money be back after the break. Coming up, Kramer wants to hear from you. Your calls on the thunderous lightning round. Next. It is time. It's time for the lightning round. The best right rolls. One of those things you see. The play this out. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Ski that down the lightning round. I'm going to start with Joe, my home in New Jersey. Joe. Hello, Mr. Kramer. Thank you for having me on, and good luck to your eagle. Aw, thanks, Joe. I need that. What's going on? Uh, I currently own Dow Chemical for the dividend. Should I sell and buy a treasury? No, I want you to hold on. I don't think it's that great a quarter, but PPG tonight reported a good quarter for the first time in a long time, which means the chemical is going to come back in favor. I would say keep it 5% yield, buy some more, it goes to 5.5. Now we're going to go to Dan in New Jersey. Dan. Hey, Jim. Booyah. Booyah. So okay. my that question is my question is Sun Country Airlines, S N C Y. Interesting small like- cap stock, but why do we have to fool around that when we got United Airlines with that unbelievable quarter? Hey, I want to go to David in North Carolina. David, could be David Tepper who owns the Panthers. David. <laughs> hey, Jim, it's Big Wave Day from Hatters Island. The big serpent. Booyah to ya. Well, I'm liking that. I'm trying to figure out who we should get for quarterback. Go ahead. What's up? <laughs> well, hey, I have a reef. It looks like it's in the sweet spot. It's environmentally friendly. It pays a good dividend. has 11 million acres of timber growing as we speak. I'm a long-term investor. I'm not a trader. Warehouser, W-Y. Uh, man, you know what? I'm so glad you said your long term. I think WIS, I think Devin, Devin Stockers does a good job. I like it a lot. Is it electric? No, it's just very good. Let's go to Mark in California. Mark. Hey there, Jim. How you doing? Mark, it's just terrific. How about you? Hey, it's another sunny day in California, man. Well, man, sorry about that rain. I hope those people get, get through this period. What's going on? Lockheed Martin. Buy, All right, Lockheed Martin. Now, listen, people are really worried about the, the, the Republicans and the defense budget. I'm worried about the Ukrainians and defending them. And I think Lockheed Martin plays a key role. James Taylor is welcome on this show any day of the week, including Saturday and Sunday. I'll come in. What else do I have to do? Let's go to Michael in Illinois. Michael. Booyah, Jim Bob. 
Jim, Yo, man, a- what's happening? How you doing, kiddo? I have a two-part question. How are you, buddy? Okay. I have a two-part question. With the rising sales of Heplizab B and the adjuvant CPG 1080 with a strong heartbeat, what is your thought on Dynavax? And would you invite <sighs> Brian Spencer on your show? Well, I don't know Ryan Spencer. Um, I'm not that familiar with his work. I, I know this is a very speculative stock, and I think if as long as you understand it's a speculative stock, you can lose some money in it. It's fine by me. I need to go right now to Craig in my home state of New Jersey. Craig. Hi, Jim. Hi, Jim. Uh, just calling about an energy stock, uh, PE of 10, 9% dividend. Uh, it's a company that acquired Mark West Energy a while back, uh, MPLX. Why don't more people talk, call with this kind of stock? I like the company. I like the cash flows. I like the pipelines. I think you have a winner. I need to go to Eric in Wisconsin. Eric. Hey, Michelle. Uh, what are you expecting? Show man in the house. February 1st. Which one? Waste management. Oh, you know, hey, they got a super golf. I wish I played golf. My life would probably be better if I played golf. They got a big tournament out there when the Super Bowl plays. Waste management is going down. People are very worried about the number of the earnings. It does sell 26 times earnings. I wish it would be cheaper. I think that you can buy it. I don't know. He's not, Jim Fish is not going to pre-announce at the same time as the, as the tournament. How about between 145 and 150? That's a good level. Now let's go to Zachary in New York. Zachary. Hi, Jim. I'm curious as to what you think about national fuel gas. I used to like national fuel gas when it yielded 4 or 5%, and I thought it was going to be a national takeover. At this point, I'd rather see you in Sempra, which has more growth and has a good yield, and I like very much. I want to go to Jerry in Missouri for my 938th call today. Jerry! Jim, great club call today. Oh, thank you. I want everyone to blow in the club, but no, no. People have objected, and Regina doesn't like it. Just kidding. She was there or, or, or orchestrating the whole thing today. What's what's going on? Yeah. Okay, I've been following this energy stock for about a year, and I never got in. Today, on no news that I can find, it dropped over 10%. It's a high multiple stock and seems to trade in line with a lot of the semiconductor industry. I know you consider it a speculative stock, but is this my chance to get into Enphase Energy? I think Enphase Energy is a perfect way to be able to play the Inflation Reduction Act as well as pretty much everything else that the Biden administration has passed. You get periodically days like today where it's down 27, you have to take a chance, you have to do some buying. Thank you very much. And that, ladies and gentlemen, the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up, what does the news of the day have to do with the basics at Bristol Myers? Kramer reminds you about a bedrock rule of mad money. Next. When I covered crime as a young reporter, I was constantly shocked that my stories always led the paper. They were always above the fold, as the old timers say. You could cover a supermarket checker putting a hit out on her husband in Visalia, wherever the heck Visalia was, and it would trump any other news of the day. People love to read those stories. The more horrifying, the better. Maybe that's what shapes my thinking about this current stock market. Being a homicide reporter, let me be the most important reporter of the day, because I had the most gripping story, not the most substantive. But I knew the truth. Journalism was commerce, and I was merely at the vanguard of selling papers. That's how I feel about any given sell-off these days, including this one. 
It's gripping. It's can't miss. Bear market claws coming down. Your market turmoil. It's above the proverbial fold, at least until nothing happens. And I'm sitting on my hands waiting for another call from the LAPD to cover the next tragedy. I'm not saying you should ignore this pullback. It's glaring, and it certainly calls attention to itself. However, there's usually a lot more smoke than fire, let alone ice. And, and even that rarely has much staying power. The first day, everything goes down. We had that yesterday, and there's a legitimate but mistaken sense of panic. On day two, people say, hey, you know, I get it. Bond yields are plumbing, plummeting, which is the bond market's way of shouting that we're going to have a hard landing. What do you buy in a hard landing? Oh, Bristol-Myers and its ilk, recession-proof stocks. What the heck does a Fed-mandated slowdown have to do with the price-to-earnings multiple Bristol-Myers? So on day two, well, today, you look for companies with products that can still sell in a slowdown. Maybe some of them are down. It gives you a chance. Day one is very exciting, like my old homicide reporting days. Day two, there's no homicide, no front page. It's a more thoughtful day, and it doesn't lend itself to hysterical reporting on commentary. Now, I do not want to equate for one moment real-life murder, which I covered, with a pullback in stocks, which I cover now. Those are real people who died. It was horrible. I hated my job. I felt so bad for everybody. But the media coverage of the market is similar. The sell-off is viewed as a collapse, a calamity, not ever an opportunity. The gripping declines turn into next-day buying opportunities as things go down. But we're so busy fleeing in fear we don't see them. I want to make a pointer. If you're on a diversified portfolio of good stocks and companies that make things and do stuff at a profit, you're going to be able to avoid the prurient nature of day one. If you can pick up stocks like Procter & Gamble after a good quarter with a 5% organic growth, as you got this morning, you're buying below-the-fold boring stories that do very well over time. Not tomorrow, over time. They aren't exciting. They don't sell papers, but they are dividend aristocrats, and I think they'll make you money over time. I know I won't convince people that down days are often exciting sideshows with no staying power. To truly understand the market, you need to go below the fold, though, to the, the fold of the daily action to find the boring stuff, the stuff nobody wanted to read. Back when I was a crime reporter, I was 23, living in my car, desperate to be recognized. My editor sensationalized every homicide story in a way I found repugnant. But with only a hatchet, a bottle of Jack, some lousy clothes and marshals, and plenty of very necessary baby powder, I was way too poor to put up a fight. Well, that's no longer the case. I say avoid the above-the-fold chaos and buy the the below-the-fold stocks that get ignored because they're comparatively boring but very strong financially. You see, I like journalism with the currency's excitement. When you're investing, the currency's boredom. Stay away from hysterics or use them to buy stocks like Bristol-Myers at a discount because the kind of stocks that could never sell a paper are perfect for your portfolio in this or maybe any environment. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere. I promise I'll try to find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.